Right, if you'd like to keep your Bibles open in front of you, we've got quite a lot to go at this morning, haven't we? Uh, so we will be here a while. No, that is a joke. We're not going to be here that long. Um, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your glory, your majesty, your greatness, your power. I ask, Father, that in all these words, in all these things we're doing, would we taste, would we see your goodness afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, um, I wonder whether you're self-aware enough, you're conscious in your own life about the people or the things or the circumstance that influence you the most. Who are the people that you would follow in your life? Who are the people that you would lay down, whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're thinking about, and say, do you know what? I'm going to follow them. I'm going to do that. That's worth following us. Many of us, when we think about what we follow, there are lots of things in each of our lives that uh, shape us. It might be how we feel, that actually how we feel on a given day, on a given thing, shapes our choices, our decisions, what we do and what we don't do. It might be our ambitions or our dreams, the thing we're aiming for in life, that actually will do anything to get there, irrespective of what it takes. It might be things to do with home. It might be things to do with work. It might be having an idea of how your retirement should work out. And you'll do what it takes to get there. It might be a love for a particular thing or a particular type of thing that means that actually you would go wherever it is to follow them. Bath, rugby club, went to, to London, to Twickenham, to play a game of rugby. 60,000 people there. I imagine quite a bit Bath was in London. People chose to follow their team all the way to London. If you love music or you love art or you love something, often people will make sacrifices, great sacrifices, to follow what they love. They'll give time, they'll give their energy, they'll give their resources to follow. And we obviously, as individuals, we invest in those things, we make those choices about things, whether they're conscious, whether they're issues of our heart or they're just habits that we've developed, because we believe deep down that they will bring us fulfillment, they will bring us the purpose our lives are created for, that we will experience joy and beauty, maybe, security, or give us a great adventure. All mixture of all those different things, maybe. But do we find it? Do we find what we're looking for in those things that we're following or pursuing in our lives. A brief look at our culture shows how many of us hang on the words or the pictures or the latest utterances from whoever it might be. How many people spend their lives on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, or whatever else it is that is the trendy one. I'm so out of touch electronically. We hang on the latest announcement, the latest bit of information. Will it enrich our lives? Will it shape our lives? All this information that we seek, all this stuff that we feed on, the latest music phenomenon, the latest politician, the latest celebrity, what they're doing, what they're not doing, what's in and what's out. But to be honest, if you look at our culture, generally we love to follow successful people. 
may make us feel good about ourselves, that we're with the successful crowd. You know, we want to be seen with them. We want to be part of following the success. Following, however, is a slightly complicated uh, theme, a complicated thing. Now, Peter, if you've got a picture, some of us struggle to follow announcements. Here's a gentleman who saw a sign uh, on the side of the wall that said, hug left curb uh, when leaving. It was actually for the cars. It wasn't actually for him to lie down and hug the left curb as he was leaving, but he thought that's what, if he followed those instructions, that that's what he's called to do. Then following on from that, if your dog does a poo, please put it in the litter bin. He slightly got confused about what the notice was for and what he was supposed to do, and he's trying to put the dog in rather than the poo in. Although he is getting to the essence of the problem, it's fair to say. But we also like to be in control, don't we? We also like to feel like we know what we're doing. We like to be the ones who are leading our lives. And following is a bit challenging. The story's told of a young woman who wanted to and applied to go to a college as part of her further education. But her heart sank when she read the question on the application form that asked, are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she was that type of person. She wrote, no, and returned the application, expecting, obviously, the worst. To her surprise, she received this letter from the college that she'd applied for, and it said this, Dear applicant, a study of the, applicant, the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We're accepting you because we feel it's imperative that we have at least one follower. We're spending the year looking at the life of Jesus in the book of Luke's gospel that we've had read this morning. And the first eight chapters of the book of Luke are all about who is Jesus? Who is this person, Jesus? People are becoming more interested in Jesus. He has a group of followers around him. Who is this person? He does miraculous things, miraculous birth. He heals the sick, casts out demons. He raises the dead who teaches with a different authority to anything they've come across before. The one who says, for example, love your enemies. Who is it that the wind and the seas would obey him? Who is it that could forgive our sins? News about Jesus spreads as we've gone through those first eight chapters of Luke's Gospel. But when we get to chapter 9, which is the chapter where there's a pivot, there's a change, there's a shift in the narrative of the book. Because Peter, as you'll notice at the right at the beginning of the reading we had, has this great insight into who Jesus is. Peter says that Jesus is not one of a row of prophets, of teachers and sages from the past. Peter says, you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. You are the one who's bringing the kingdom of God, the ruling, the healing, the reigning, the power of God, and coming into the world to restore, to heal, 
to see God's kingdom come, to renovate and repair all the brokenness and devastation in the world. Jesus, you, says Peter, are the one. You are the one. Bear in mind, he's been with them, with the other disciples for quite a while. But at this point, the first point, Peter says, you are the one. What's interesting is that literally as Jesus' identity is revealed, he begins to say, follow me. Follow me. In other words, chapters 1 to 8 have said is, who is Jesus? But we're going to find in chapters 9 through 18 that we're going to spend the next period of time looking at, it's going to be that if Jesus is who he says he is, as Peter testified to, then what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that make us? How do we go about living our lives? Because the word follow is the key word that shapes the next chapters of Luke. And I'm going to take us through uh, each section of these passages quite quickly. So we can look at the first bit, if you've got your Bibles open, in verse 18 onwards, 18 to 22. So here we have the very people who've left, left everything they have to follow Jesus. They still don't really get who Jesus is. So notice after Jesus has been praying, Jesus asks them, who do other people say I am? Who do other people say I am? See, when you get beyond the words, when you get beyond the biography, when you get beyond the actions of Jesus, who is Jesus really? Who is he? I'd suggest to you, ask most people today. If we went out, for example, and went to knock on every single door of all the residents of this parish of Walcott, I wonder what they'd say. Who is Jesus? Well, one of the common things might be, well, he was a good man. He was a wise man. This one of these religious figures of a long time ago who taught some amazing things. And he allegedly did some pretty amazing stuff. But probably it's myth and legend. In fact, the people of the times we see in this passage say that the people assume that Jesus was someone who's been resurrected from the past, whether it's John or Elijah, one of the past prophets. But Jesus says, forget other people. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? What about you? What can you say this morning about who you think Jesus is? And Jesus asked us that question today. Who do you think Jesus is. Who am I to you? Jesus asked you this morning. What can you say about who you think Jesus is? Just take a moment of quiet and in your own mind have a think, what, what would you say if your friends came up to you this week and said, who do you think Jesus is? What would you say?
Because one of my prayers is that some of our non-Christian friends will be asking us that question. Who is Jesus to you? They'd actually be interested enough to ask you. Peter says, you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. Peter's saying, you are the promised one who's bringing God's kingdom to this world, the ruling, delivering, healing, the power of God to heal, to renovate and repair this world. Jesus, you are the unique one. You are the one we've been expecting. Yet what do we see in the following verses? Jesus warns them he's not the kind of Messiah that they think they're getting. And what I'd suggest to you this morning uh, is this in this short bit of passage, this bit of passage. Jesus shows us one of the key, key things about sharing your faith with others. See, the thing is this, you actually need to be connected to other people to find out what they think or what they believe. You actually need to be prepared just to ask a question. That's it. Of other people. You need to be interested enough in other people that you want to hear what they think. You want to hear what they believe. You want to hear what they know is at the center of life. So often, people like me, who are paid to stand at the front of church, we can convey the impression that actually it's all about just giving shed loads of information. Jesus asks simple questions. Who do you say I am? Are you interested in what your friends think? The people you know? Some of your family? Will you have the opportunity, maybe, to ask them what they believe, what they think, why they think it, to build a relationship? Questions, simple questions, are a gift to us to show our interested in other people. Maybe we could pray my prayer, Lord, would you give us opportunities this week to connect with friends, family, just help us find out what they believe and why. Going on from that, verses 23 to 27, what we find is that following Jesus isn't all straightforward. Jesus says to his followers what following Jesus entails. It's in the present tense. Following Jesus is about, is about today. It's living. It's about choices we make each day. But it is costly and sacrificial. This is not, although the benefits are extraordinary, this is not without cost and without sacrifice. The image of the Christian life that so often we have, which can, which can be a real difficulty for us, particularly in the West, is we think the Christian life is a cruise on the Med or a beach holiday. And when life doesn't bring us all those things, we somehow think that's what God is about, that somehow God has left us, rejected us, and doesn't care about us. But cross-bearing, which is the image we find in these verses here, is a powerful ancient image. Rejection stands at the center of this image, as well as being accountable to something bigger, to the state. So what it means to carry our cross, to bear our cross, for a Christian is that we carry it prepared to face rejection and even death. As we align ourselves to God's will, 
and to say life is my life is not my own. The Christian life is found in losing our lives in Christ, to giving our lives to Christ, giving it all, so we gain his fullness of life. I think we can be very tempted, and I've been here many times, when we think that most of us like to think that we can have a bit of Jesus, but we'll like the world too. We can have it all. There's no real sacrifice in following Jesus. But actually life will work out fine. But the tricky bit is this, is once you discover who Jesus really is, you'll want to give it all to him. Once you discover who Jesus really is, you'll want to give it all to him. Why? Because that's what he does for us, ultimately in the life of Jesus that he talks about. Jesus ultimately giving his own life for us. Paul captures it beautifully in Philippians 2. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every name should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. These texts are hard for us to grasp in our society today, especially in our affluent Western culture. For, see, for all our Brexit chaos, all the challenges of the, the brokenness in our world today, professing faith in Jesus in this country still is very, 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 very unlikely to lead to death. But there are Christians around the globe today who are worshipping today who say that publicly who will lose their life. But for us, the challenge seems to be more about conforming to the patterns of this world and this culture. We're called to walk differently to the rest of the world in following Jesus. We're called to walk with integrity, with purity, with faithfulness, and humble service in laying our lives down for others. See, bearing one's cross means putting aside your own agenda for your own life and seeking God's kingdom first. Now I understand that's never popular in a world that exalts your own right to self-expression. I recognize that's difficult where materialism, the pursuit of power, independence and security all dominate our culture. But all of those things will kill our spiritual growth if they become too important to us. See, this time of the year, amongst any other time of the year, where we go through the season of Lent, is a time of reflection and of facing reality. And for me, have I really died to self? Am I really living for God's glory? And will I choose to follow Christ tomorrow when I'm at my work, at my desk, doing whatever it is each you do, not just on a Sunday, in my attitudes and in my beliefs 
and the way I make my choices. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of us were at a conference in Bristol. It was a leaders' conference, and I was really struck again. One of the church leaders, who's actually going to be our cafe managers, Mike's new boss, was, was talking. And one of the things he talked about, how challenged he was, that there's a particular vicar who's very well known in sort of Christian circles globally, who has decided recently, and over the recent time, felt really challenged that before he goes to bed, and he's a massively successful person international. He just he prays a really simple prayer. It's a prayer of confession before he goes to bed. Lord, I'm sorry where I've taken your glory today. I give it back to you. I'm sorry, Lord, where I've sought my own glory. I give it back to you. That's someone who's, who's grasping the depth of all that Christ has done for us and done for each one of us. Then we move on to verses 28 almost, to the transfiguration. Well, it's a unique event in Scripture, the transfiguration. It's worthy of a sermon on its own. And it's one of only two places in Scripture we see heaven directly speaking. The other, obviously, was earlier on when we looked at Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes, opts to go up to a mountain to pray with Peter, John, and James. And this extraordinary event happens. And what we see and unfold in these verses... And what these verses all teach us, what the transfiguration teaches amongst many things, is that following Jesus is all about listening to him. It's making a choice to listen to him and choosing to follow him. During the time of prayer, Jesus is transformed into this glorious picture that we see with the brilliance of a lightning, like lightning. Suddenly his face began to shine and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And if you've seen art and literature, you know it's that kind of stereotypical shiny Jesus that we sometimes think. And it's a little bit grating at times, but here is absolutely where it comes from. Jesus is radiating with the glory of God. Absolutely radiating. There's power in the image of lightning that has always made me smile, this image of lightning. Until the glory of God comes down on our lives. Until we have that lightning experience, we won't be, until we've received the revelation of the gospel, it won't change us. Remember Peter, James and John had lots of knowledge had lots of experience. They're made in the image of God. They're creative. They're independent. They're rational. They have personality. But when they experience the glory of God, receive the revelation of the gospel, everything changes. Jesus is not alone. And since he's been joined by this image, of, we see Moses and Elijah. A cloud envelops them. And the presence of the cloud recalls the Shekinah presence of God that we see in Exodus. The disciples, when this happens, if you, I don't know whether you can imagine, it's an extraordinary picture, but they're filled with fear. But the voice from heaven brings the opposite. Amongst fear, the voice from heaven says, my son, the chosen beloved one, listen to him. So as Jesus is revealed in all his glory, glory, what we see is that challenge of the Father saying, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. 
But I don't know about you in our very busy and challenging world where we're full of information and full of stuff. It can be quite difficult to hear God, to make a choice to create time, whether we're on our own, whether we're in our groups, whether we meet together, or even in church, to make a choice to listen to God. Because the question is, do you want to hear what God wants to say? I mean, forget what God says for a second. Do you actually want to hear what God thinks about your neighbors, about the choices you're making, about your work, about your relationship, about your family, about your finances, about your leisure, and all the choices you're making? Are you prepared to make choices this week for Jesus, to listen and to act? Following Jesus means worshipping, taking time with him, as we saw earlier in Luke's gospel, and sitting at Jesus' feet, spending time with him. Maybe we need this morning, maybe there are quite a number of us here this morning, who actually need to just rededicate ourselves to make some time for Jesus. Whether we're taking time and just reading the Bible, taking some time to pray each day, to take some time to meet up with other Christians or to serve, that actually the business of life has mean that we're really not that interested in what Jesus says. We've lost our way and we need to get back on the right way. Now finally, verse 37 onwards, we see uh, this last bit of the passage where, and we see discipleship is a lifetime of following Jesus is a lifetime of following and discovering more of him. The disciples have so much to learn. They can't heal this demon-possessed boy, so Jesus takes them to task. Now, to be honest, if I was sat here and someone gave me a demon boy and then I didn't do it, Jesus would be giving me a hard time. So I'm not going to give the disciples a hard time this morning, other than a hypocrite. But what does Jesus say? Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. He doesn't muck about. This isn't fluffy Jesus, but the mission of Jesus in full flow. The evil spirit suddenly casts the boy down, and Jesus issues a command for the evil spirit to come out. The rebuke works, and the boy is left unharmed and healed. When you see the transformation of a life, of seeing someone genuinely healed, It's one of the most beautiful things of a testimony of God at work. And the crowd, they reflect on that. They reflect on God's majesty and his power, which overcomes the brokenness, fullness, and evil in the world. Jesus has the authority of God over all that's evil. On the last two brief instants, close Luke's report of this section of his Galilean ministry. In the first, it's almost laughable. The disciples are haggling over who has the greatest position in the disciples' hall of fame. Who's the greatest amongst the disciples? So here they are, they're with Jesus, seeing who he is, and they're still sat there thinking, how do I rate against everybody else? What's the pecking order? Posturing for power, posturing for position, understand nothing of the humility of Jesus. Grasp nothing of the humility 
of Jesus. Jesus takes a child and points them out and says, here's this child. Receive the child. In the kingdom of God, the last will be first and the first will be last. And right at the end of this bit of passage, we see Jesus' concern to emphasize that ministry isn't for a gifted few. Ministry for Jesus isn't about putting a few people with a few gifts on a pedestal and watching them do stuff. It's actually for everyone. And Jesus tells the disciples they've got it so wrong. Many of us have a vision of our idea of Christian discipleship, a bit like the Marines who, who just want a few good men. You know, all we need is a few good men to lead us and everybody else we can just... But Jesus wants all of us to serve and to follow encourages each one of us to do so. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has something to offer. We are living stones being built into a spiritual house. So just as we draw together, what we see here is Luke lays out again who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. So this morning, who is Jesus to you? We have an opportunity in communion to receive and to rededicate ourselves to following, to giving ourselves. Well, there's some things that you need to know that have got too big in your life. That idea of bearing your cross that you need to lay down before God this morning and to rededicate your life to him. Or maybe you just need to make some time for God this week. You know, you actually, you're, not, you're just too busy to hear him. And I understand there are different seasons. But actually... It may just take five minutes, making five minutes to be with God, to pray, to read a bit of scripture would make all the difference. Or maybe he's calling you to do something, to join in, to be a part of what each of us are called to be and being built into this beautiful living house that God's called St. Swithin's to be. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you afresh this morning that you know each person here by name, that you know far more about each one of our lives than we do about ourselves. And actually, as we sit here this morning, do you know what we need? And I pray, Lord, for each one of us, in the many words I've spoken, the things that are important, maybe the one or two things that you really want us to hear this morning would stay at the forefront of our mind and the rest would just fall aside. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you make yourself real to us this morning? Would you minister your grace afresh to us this morning? Father, most of us have said, Lord, I would love to follow you more, follow you more nearly day by day. Would you give us the strength? Would you give us the power, Holy Spirit, to live for you this week? To receive your strength. To hear words of affirmation and comfort that you love us and you know us by name. But also to spur us on to the things you've called us to. In Jesus' name. Amen.